Happy Friday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Last week, Coastal Carolina moved within one win of an East Division crown while Troy survived a road scare from Louisiana. With three weeks remaining in the regular season, it's the Chanticleers and the Trojans in the driver's seat in the Sun Belt. Week 11 has already featured the final midweek game of the year between Louisiana and Georgia Southern, but the weekend will still feature an exciting seven-game slate on Saturday with two games airing on national television. Caden, we've just got three weeks remaining in the regular season. What are you expecting from uh, this weekend in the league? Another week where we get to see everybody in the conference play. It's always exciting when you get to do that. All the bye weeks are over now. Everyone's kind of focused and locked in on finishing strong. So I'm super excited to watch these teams play their best football like we've talked about to end the month. A lot of teams fighting for, like you mentioned, keeping that top dog spot in the conference. A lot of teams clawing, hoping on some other teams downfall in front of them. So I think it's going to be that time of year where it's kind of proving season. And some of these teams have a lot more to prove than others, but it's all about that momentum going into next year for some of these teams. And then a lot of these other teams have really high stakes right now. And there's a lot of injuries you have to talk about as well. And just a lot of different things going on to end the year. And it's going to be very interesting to see them all come together when we get around championship time. Well, in today's episode, we'll be previewing the seven remaining games in Week 11, including a special emphasis on our game of the week between two old rivals in Marshall and App State. We'll also dive into the Coastal Carolina versus Southern Miss game and more. Caden, we've talked about the first 10 weeks of the season. Uh, there's just three weeks of Sun Belt regular season football left. You still ready to talk some football? Let's do it. We're talking about these teams finishing strong, but let, let's, let us finish strong. Let's let's end it on a high note. Let's, let's talk about these games the best we can, man, and give the people what they want. Well, I think we got a very good midweek game to get uh, this episode started with. Uh, it has just gone final between Louisiana and Georgia Southern. This one was played down uh, in Lafayette, and uh, Louisiana walked out with the win, 36-17. to 17. I did want to make the note that I did pick the Raging Cajuns in this game, and I uh, wanted to pat myself on the back. But they got a huge performance from Ben Wooldridge in this first half, Caden. Three touchdown passes in the first two quarters. He was dropping dimes early in this game. He definitely was, and we kind of expected this to be somewhat of a shootout, and Louisiana was the only team that showed up for the shootout, and Ben Wooldridge was definitely ready to go for it. I think he had a fantastic first half, and we talked about it heading into this one. It was going to be about the weapons out wide, and I talked about how he doesn't discriminate. He doesn't care who he's throwing the ball to. He's trying to hit every target he can, and we saw that in this game. He took shots to Jefferson, which used to Steven, but Stevens, we haven't seen that Um Bernard, another receiver, we're not used to seeing that. He was throwing the guys balls that were perfect ones that only his receivers could catch. He was really exposing that Georgia Southern defense that we talked about had some worries going into this, one of the worst defenses in the conference. And he definitely made him look like this in this game on Thursday, huge game for him. Hey, he completed passes to 11 different receivers. And you mentioned Georgia Southern. It kind of felt like they brought a squirt gun to a gunfight here because you know, they didn't have their best passing performance in this one. Kyle Van Trees, as we've come to expect, you know, all year long, still throws for over 300 yards. But Caden, they didn't seem to be as aggressive as they normally are on offense. Yeah, Louisiana's defense, credit to them, obviously. They do what they always do, which is play well, run to the football secondary breaking on balls they did all of the things that we're accustomed to see them doing the staples of their defense but georgia southern it was very interesting they looked a little bit less aggressive in this game we saw a lot more balls behind the line of scrimmage with screen passes not as many deep shots as we're accustomed to seeing with them so it was definitely tough to see for them and when they did go for those deep shots a lot of them were contested by louisiana's defensive backs who played in a great game and a lot of them were executed on when you see derwin burgess and caleb hood kind of connect on some of those deep balls so you kind of wonder why they didn't go back to that and then the running game struggled we talked about the importance of Jalen white going into this one and i think he was a little banged up after a couple plays so the running game wasn't there it was a lot on kyle's plate and they just didn't look like the normal georgia southern defense that we're accustomed to seeing and that clearly shows from the scoreboard with them scoring the least points i think we've seen from them all season Hey, Louisiana's rushing attack was at its best. It's the best that we've seen it all year. They run for a season-high 242 yards on the ground. Smith, Washington, and Williams all had great games. Kane, you brought up an interesting point when we were chatting before we jumped on this episode, but they had a lot of big gashing runs, particularly in that first half. They had 10 runs of over 10-plus yards uh, in this game. Why were they having so much success getting to that second level? Georgia Southern's front seven just simply looked soft. I think every time the ball was snapped, you saw their offensive linemen moving guys out of the way, getting to the second level and making it very easy for these running backs to cook. I think the running backs are probably feeding these guys a steak dinner up front after this game because every time they touched the ball, it seemed like there was somewhere to go for them. It was very rarely clogged up, even if they had to bounce it outside, make things happen. And then on top of that, 
Woldridge gave you that passing element that you had to worry about as a defense. So they could just have their way on the offensive end. And I think a lot of that was shown with the rushing performances we saw from some of these guys having great gashing runs, some big runs, getting to the second and third level. So you like this for Louisiana. It's obviously been a staple for them running the ball traditionally, and they haven't really been able to get to that this year. But this was a huge game for them to be able to do that. If there was one thing that both teams will take out of this game, Caden, it was the inability to convert on third down. The teams combined to go five for 28. Georgia Southern doesn't have their first third down conversion, I believe, until the fourth quarter in this game. Uh, Why were both teams struggling so much behind the chains? I think for Georgia Southern, a lot of it had to do with them getting behind the chains. You saw... Louisiana played great on first and second down and forced them into some third and long situations. Some penalties even got the best of Georgia Southern in some of those situations as well. So they were kind of handcuffed. They're very good in usually the third and manageable area, the four to seven yard area as well when they get to third and long. But when you get to third and 10 and third and 15 and you're down, we know you're going to throw the ball and our pass rush on top of that is getting pressure like we've never seen get on Georgia Southern. That's how you get to those problems. And I think for Louisiana, I think a lot of them was playing well. It's the opposite. They played well on first and second down. They didn't really have many third down conversion attempts really until the second half. And once they got that lead, they were kind of cool protecting it. You could tell they kicked the ball a ton trying to get field goals, just trying to get points on the board. They were trying to control the game a lot in the second half because they got up in the first half so well. So you saw how well they con- con- converted on fourth down, four for five on fourth down. When they needed it in the first half, when they were really aggressive, when it was short down yardage, they were getting it. But on third down, you could tell they were just a little bit less aggressive because they just wanted to control the game. You mem- you mentioned a moment ago, and before we get to that Louisiana defense, let's go ahead and talk about it. But uh, Kenneth Almendaris, uh, a huge performance in this game, 15 points all on fewer 18 points total, but 15 of those in the third and the fourth quarter went five for five. Caden, you started a trend last week where you started naming a uh, special teams player of the week in your Smith Picks of the Week segment, and I think you're going to have to name another one this week. Yeah, if, if we're going to keep that trend going, Almendaris has definitely set the bar high for all the special teams players around the conference. Obviously, we talked about Louisiana taking what they can, and he was taking it. He was giving it, it was giving it to him, and he took it. 48-yard field goal, his longest of the day. He was hitting it from everywhere, and I think everyone in the stadium and that team had confidence in him. But also a shout-out, still staying on special teams. Great day in the return game as well for Louisiana. They really won this game in all three facets. You look at the kicking game as well. We're used to seeing Eric Gard do some great things with the ball in his hands as a returner. He had three returns got 40 yards they put Fleming back there as well who's another explosive guy he had a 50-yard return so just kudos to Louisiana in general for just owning special teams and winning that aspect of the game as well well the only thing that uh you know was a little rough in this game was how many people that were there to see it it was a little bit of an <laughs> underwhelming crowd on a Thursday night so they definitely missed some fireworks but let's talk a little bit about that Louisiana defense uh they did a nice job of getting past that Georgia Southern offensive line they got two sacks in this game which was almost double what Georgia Southern had given up all year long. And then Caden, that secondary, and we talked about it in our preview episode on Wednesday, they had a really good game. They failed to force an interception, but 11 pass breakups in this game really tells the story. Yeah, and Eric Gar did have a forced fumble that was scooped and scored, and it was a call that I thought was a fumble but got reversed, and I think they'll still be going on the highlight tape for him for sure. So that's another turnover they could have got. But no, I think when you look at it, we talked into this game, Georgia Southern, Great job of protecting Kyle Van Treese all year. And if you look at the stat line, you might think in this game, they did, maybe did a little bit worse than they normally do. But if you watch the actual game, Van Treese was getting out of the pocket very quickly. He had to get out of there because the interior pressure was playing so well. And with that, it's very hard on the secondary to have to plaster and defend your man for a long period of time. Once that kind of three to four second clock goes off in your head, you have to find your man if you're in a zone and guard him for as long as you can. And they did a great job really front to back as far as Louisiana's defense goes of playing complimentary ball. The pass rush was getting there, and when they needed some more time to get to the quarterback, the coverage was on point and vice versa. So you have to really give it credit to both ends of the or the front and the back of Louisiana's defense for taking care of business. I think the secondary did a great job of helping the guys up front, and the up front did a great job of helping the secondary. Well, really, it was an all-around great night down in Lafayette for this one. Like I said, 11, a little over 11,000 fans attend this game, and when you have $2 natty lights and cheap hot dogs, I don't know where all the fans were, but they definitely should have been in attendance uh, for this one. But Louisiana picks up the win, and now they'll have a chance down the stretch uh, with two games remaining to perhaps get into bowl eligibility, so we'll see if they can handle that. Georgia Southern also will have a chance to get to bowl eligibility, but definitely uh, a tough road ahead for them over the next couple of games. So two teams sitting 
right on the edge of bowl eligibility. We'll see which ones uh, make it into bowl games this year. Well, Kane, let's move on to the game that we're calling our game of the week. And it's an old-fashioned rivalry game that dates all the way back to 1977 between Marshall and App State. Uh, this game will be played at 3.30 on Saturday on ESPN+. And they're renewing a rivalry for the first time as conference foes. You probably remember that game against Marshall last year. Uh, Marshall's won three out of the last four, but Caden, you were on the field last year and you guys beat App State, or App State rather beat Marshall in that game 31-30. I wanted to ask you, is this a must-win game for App State? They need to win two of their final three games to become bowl eligible. They're going to play Marshall, Old Dominion, Georgia Southern. Uh, They've appeared in a bowl in every year since transitioning to the FBS. Caden, is this a must-win for App State? I think it is. And you talked about it. This is a very exciting matchup. And when we were coming into this season, we were talking about this three week stretch with App State, Coastal and Marshall all playing each other, being what was going to be the deciding factor of who represents the East in the conference championship. Now, Coastal has obviously ran away with it. But I think you look at this. This is two premier teams in the conference. And you talked about some of that history. And I definitely remember the game from last year. I didn't play in it because I was hurt, but it was a hard fought battle at home that the team who wanted the more the most won and App State and our team wanted it more and they took that game. And then the year before, it was the same exact scenario. I have flashbacks of that game in Huntington where they beat us and it was because they wanted it more than us. They outplayed us down the stretch. And it was always just known that when these two teams met, it was going to be a fierce rivalry game. And with that being said, I think that already makes it a must-win game within itself. I think every year when you look at the calendar going forward, this is going to be a game in the East that's going to be looked at as a must-win game. But to take it a step further, you know, the App State fan base and the pressure that they put on this team. And when you look at bowl eligibility being on the line, the conference championship looking like it might be slipping away from you. As a program, you want to prove in these last three games, and especially in this one, that you still have that swagger, that juice, and something to look forward to as far as a program moving forward, that you could still be that winning program. I think looking at App State's record the last couple of weeks and this week is not something this program is used to seeing, not, some, not something this fan base is used to seeing. So I think that makes this matchup even higher and more of a big deal. And it does make it a must win game for them because if they lose this game, if they lose any game from now forward, it's going to be that constant chatter you're seeing on Twitter and that constant pressure. So App State wants to do itself as many favors as it can on this back end of the season and win games. And that means winning this one too. Hey, if App State fails to get to bowl eligibility this year, Caden, we need to sell tickets to the uh, group chat that you and your App State football buddies have because I can only imagine some of the conversations that are going to be had in there. I think it would be good. So maybe we'll have to consider that business venture. But hey, I wanted to talk about Chase Bryce and Caden. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I think we had kind of dubbed Todd Santeo, you know, the offensive player of the year in this league. Uh, but then he's dealt with some injuries, hasn't looked strong over the last couple of weeks. And suddenly you look at Chase Bryce and his stats right now, and he's leading the league in touchdowns, he's top five in yards. Uh, He threw for 279 and two touchdowns against Coastal Carolina last week. 28 total touchdowns is the most in the Sun Belt. Is Chase Bryce a dark horse candidate right now with a couple of good games down the stretch here to maybe take that Offensive Player of the Year award? No, it's a great point. And I think when you look at the stock of some of these individual players throughout the season, it's been interesting to watch them rise and fall. Obviously, going into the year, we had the Grayson McCalls and the Tots and Tails playing well and the names that we're used to seeing in them. Chase Bryce is now creeping into the conversation with some injuries to those guys. And LaDamian Webb himself had an injury. He's coming back now and playing well. So I think it's definitely worth talking about and interesting to see how it's going to end as far as these last four games of the season and what the coaches decide on as far as who's going to win these off off season or there's these in season awards, end of season awards that you're going to see. But I think Chase is definitely making a strong claim for himself. And depending on the identity of this App State offense in the last three weeks will be a huge factor in that, in my opinion. Let's talk about the rushing attacks for both of these teams, why don't we? Kalen Laybourne for Marshall in this game, having a huge season, over 1,200 yards on the ground, 133 yards per game. Meanwhile, for App State, we've talked about him a lot. We've had one of them on the podcast, Cameron Peoples, Nate Noel, the rest of the running backs in that group. Uh, Caden, this one is shaping up to be a really good rushing attack type of game, potentially. Uh, App State coming in off of that 88-yard performance last week against Coastal. You imagine they're going to have to be running angry, but we know how good this Marshall defense is when it comes to stopping the run. I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup to watch in this game is Marshall's defense against App State's and, and vice versa. No, my two years of playing in this game and being around this game up front in that running game is a huge factor, and it's always been 
just when you look at both of these programs, really, they kind of hang their hat on the run game. So it almost feels like every game of these two teams starts off with the team trying to prove that they can run the ball better than them. And you looked at what Kalen Laybourne's done this year. It's a fantastic season. He's been having over 100 yards in every single game, except for that one game against Coastal Carolina, which looks like a little blip. But I think if you look at the App State side of the ball, there's a little bit more question marks. And I think that's the biggest question, I think, surrounding this offense and this team right now for App State is can you run the ball? And I think if you look at their game logs, if you take away the Citadel game and you take away the Robert Morris game, it's really been a hot and cold year for this team. You obviously have the 404-yard rushing day against Georgia State. That was awesome. You have 155 yards against Troy. That's a great game. But then you put up the 41-yard day on the ground against Texas State. You put up the 63-yard day against JMU. Then last week, you have another 88-yard game against Coastal. That's kind of disappointing. If you're looking at App State right now, you're that team that's used to doing that. And I think you have to take a look in the mirror and say, can we do this? Can we run the ball? And if we can't, maybe it is time to talk about putting the ball more in the hands of who you were just talking about, Chase Bryce, who's proven that he can throw the ball for you, he can push it down the field, and he can score points for you. And I think this App State offense sometimes has looked better this season when they're playing from down and Chase Bryce is making those things happen. You talk about the UNC game when they're playing down, Texas State trying to come from behind. Even now this Coastal game last, think of your App State and you run the ball in the first half and the first quarter and it's not going for you i don't think you should try to get into a running match with kaylin laborn that marshall offense because they've proven that they're going to do that week in and week out but you haven't maybe it's time to use some of your strengths out wide some of your strengths at the quarterback position and see if that works better for you so it's going to be interesting to see if they can run the ball and if they don't do they stick with it with this marshall team that's proven week in and week out that they can do that it's interesting to hear you put it that way because I think almost what you're describing is that in some ways App State has a little bit of an identity crisis. And I felt like Louisiana's had an identity crisis this year as well. They're starting to turn the corner. So it'll be interesting to see if App State down the stretch, if they can start to figure some of those things out. Obviously, Chase Bryce won't be back next year. Um, but, you know, the one thing here, you know, the biggest question mark for me if you're a Marshall fan is which Cam Fancher shows up in this game. Are we going to see the one that threw for 320 yards versus Coastal Carolina? Or are we going to see the one who ran for 136 yards at Old Dominion? Uh, he's thrown for over 189 yards in his last three starts. Like, what's the happy medium there for him uh, as an effective signal caller for the herd? I think you answered it right there. It's a happy medium. If you're a Marshall fan, you're hoping to get a little bit of both of that. You're hoping to see a little bit of his legs and some more of that arm talent that we've seen. But I think the biggest thing for him and this entire offense really is red zone scoring. They've done a great job of getting down the field. He's put drives together. He, Him and Kalen Laybourne have gotten them to the 20, 30, 40 yard line. And we saw last week they couldn't get in the end zone and they scored exclusively off of field goals. I think the biggest thing that could elevate this offense and this whole entire team is if Cam Fancher can get the ball to his weapons out wide into the end zone. Red zone scoring is going to be huge for this team if they want to win this game. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since the James Madison game, which was three weeks ago. So I'm definitely looking for him. He's going to get his defense doing what they do. He's going to get the run game going. Can he now take it a next step? Kind of like we talked about with Darren Granger. Can you take your offense to another level and get some points on the board for them directly from your arm or even from your legs? Because he can do both. So I'm excited to watch him maybe step up to the occasion in this one. And this defense has proven some vulnerabilities in the secondary and up front for App State. And if he can catch some slip in a time or here or there, maybe we can see him elevate them in this game. I'm not going to give you a chance to respond to this next comment, Caden, because I think if I did, we'd be here all night. But uh App State needs to have a better performance on defense. 476 yards last week against Coastal Carolina. It was the second most that they've given up all year, uh, only trailing that week one game at UNC. Eight TFLs, two sacks, an underwhelming performance. They need a bounce back. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about in this game was, how can Marshall have a, a, a good pass rushing day? They're top four in the league in sacks, 26 this year, but they're going up against this App State front line that's been pretty solid for most of the year. If they had a roadmap, what would that roadmap be to to get into Chase Bryce's backfield? Yeah, I definitely won't answer your first question, but I'll touch on the second one. I think when you look at what Coastal Carolina did last week, it was really impressive as far as the pressure they can get in the interior. I think this offensive line for App State has kind of like the run game been up and down. And I think if you look at the up and downness of the run game, per se, a lot of that's kind of predicated on how that offensive line plays. And I think in the past game as well, we've seen Chase in the last couple of games here and there, have to show off some of his mobility because he's seeing some pressure. So I think if you're if you're Marshall's defensive line up front, then you kind of have to do a combination of feeling this game out. If you can get some interior pressure and get in Chase Bryce's face and that works out for you, got to keep doing that and keep riding that because Coastal kind of gave you a blueprint and showed some vulnerabilities that they could have in those A-gaps. But I think if that's not working for you, 
Chase is going to make some things work with his legs and you have to kind of try to contain him, which is kind of crazy because we think of other quarterbacks in this league as more mobile and more dynamic. But Chase is just fast enough and just quick enough to get out of the pocket and throw on the run and do those things. So containing him can help you a lot. So I think if you're Marshall, you kind of have to get a pulse of this game and figure out what you're going to be able to do up front and stick to that and do that the best you can. But on top of that, man, this Marshall defense, one of my favorite stats for them is their third down play. And I think if they can play well on first and second down like they have in the last three games and really the back half of the season and get teams on third downs, they've shown that they're pretty much bulletproof and unstoppable. If you look at their last three games, they're holding teams to five for 45 on third down conversions. That's just out of this world impressive. And I think if they can just take take care of their business, whether it's stopping the run or stopping the pass on first down, third down is going to come easy to them, just like it's been the last three games for them. It's pretty easy to win ball games when you have an 11% uh, opponent's conversion rate on third down. I did just do that math quickly in my head, so you can check me on that if you'd like. But App is a <laughs> one-point favorite in this game on the road. Uh, we'll move on. Old Dominion versus James Madison, the first meeting in the recently announced Royal Rivalry. Did want to give a shameless plug here to Old Dominion's women's soccer team, who actually won the Sun Belt Championship over James Madison on Sunday in a game that I called. It was actually the first game of the Royal Rivalry since that was announced. It was a lot of fun, so expect much the same in this game. Uh, Old Dominion is 2-0 in the previous two meetings against James Madison, but they happened all the way back in 2011-2012. Caden, heading into this matchup, Todd Santeo's health is the biggest question mark. Uh, I think none of us really know. He you know, threw it just 15 times last week against Louisville. He didn't look comfortable in the pocket. He wasn't throwing the ball deep, completed just four passes, uh, and it was only the second game this year where he didn't throw a touchdown pass. Uh, what are your thoughts on Todd Santeo's health going into this game? Yeah, my notes just have in all caps, is Todd Santeo healthy? I mean, he was a shell of himself last week. I think it was pretty obvious if anyone was watching that game. You talked about him only completing four of those 15 pass attempts for 52 yards. It's just tough to look at and it's tough to watch, especially seeing the level of play that he had at the beginning of the season. And I think... You have to be wondering what's going on, those internal conversations as far as his health, because I don't think it's very obvious what's wrong with him. And I don't think it's very obvious that, it, that his, what his motive is, because this is a team that isn't playing for a bowl game. This is a team that doesn't have postseason implications, but it is a senior season. So it's just kind of interesting and kind of hard to get a pulse on as far as what the motivation is of this offense and him playing right now and what they're playing for. But they're coming off of three straight losses, just like Old Dominion is in this game. And something's going to have to give. Some team's going to have to win in this game. And if he is like we saw him last week, the shell of himself, or if he's not playing in this game like we saw two weeks prior to that, you have to wonder if these other weapons that they have, can Chris Thornton, can Percy A.J. Obese, can they carry this offensive load? And it's looking like the answer's been no in this last three weeks just because we see how much Todd is important to this offense and what it looks like when he's not himself. So you have to wonder if the other offensive weapons on this team can handle that pressure. And if he's playing like himself, if we see him back to his old ways, we'll know very fast in this game. And I think if he's not, we're just going to see another one of those games where they're relying on these other guys out wide. They're relying on their defense. They're relying on the running game. And it's probably going to be a tough watch and it's going to be a tough win for them if they want to get it with Todd not being 100% himself. There's another star in this game that isn't injured, but Caden, he needs a little bit of a reboot. He comes in just 41 yards uh, short of 1,000 yards this season, and that's Ollie Jennings. Uh, he had a career-best uh, 1,066 yards last year, nine touchdowns this season, but he hasn't been as active in the offense lately. Hayden Wolf hasn't really been able to get him the ball. Teams have done a nice job of controlling him. How does Old Dominion reboot Ollie Jennings and get his best down the stretch? You know, so we talk about all of James Madison's struggles on offense with surrounding Todd, but on defense, they're still holding up strong. We saw the first half they played against Louisville, and they're going to have a good game plan against this Old Dominion offense, no question, especially with this, the inconsistency we've seen from them lately. But you talked about it, Ali Jennings coming off his two worst days of the season, four catches in one game, three catches in another one, still found it ends on in one of the games. But same with Ben Watson. He had just two kind of worst games on the ground these last two weeks as well. I think the offensive side of the ball for Old Dominion is a huge concern. It was one coming into the season that we had, and then they kind of had a little peak in the middle of the season, especially in that Coastal Carolina game. And I think for them, you would just like to see them go back to what we saw in that Coastal Carolina game. It was really an eye-opening thing. Now, if you look at all their games in the season versus that one performance they have, you would just like to see more of that offensive creativity and that offensive intensity that we saw in that game. We saw them use DJ Mack as a change-up dual-threat quarterback in that package that was successful in that game. We only saw it a couple more times in the Georgia Southern game, and then it was kind of gone since. So I'm really interested to see if maybe in this 
home game that they have that's a new rivalry that you don't know the quite the quarterback situation on the other side of the ball maybe your offense decides to get back to some of that try to pick it up a little bit try to get your best players like Ali Jennings involved and get that run game more creative and better and go from there but the offense is definitely a concern and I think this is really a big opportunity for them to capitalize on it if they do try to maybe switch some things up and improve it well, I wanted to spend some time on uh, on defense in this matchup. And, Caden, I know that you'll never argue with me when you hear the word defense uh, being talked about. But uh, James Madison, uh, you know, they need to regroup on defense. They gave up a season worst 244 yards rushing on the ground to Louisville last week. 467 yards was the second most uh, that they've given up all year long. They still hold the nation's second best rushing defense. Caden, uh, the one thing that James Madison really needs to continue to do, they did it nice last week, but they need it again in this game, is continuing to create havoc. And that's, you know, creating tackles for losses and picking up sacks, pressuring that quarterback. Uh, what's the strategy there for them to do that against Old Dominion? Yeah, I think a lot of what we're seeing when we saw the beginning of this season, this amazing James Madison defense that was getting propped up and hyped up, rightfully so. I think a lot of that was their offense being so good that as good as they were. I think because James Madison's offense was so productive, we were really seeing the best version of complimentary football. I think we've seen in the conference all season as far as James Madison offense and defense playing well in the beginning of the year. Their defense offense was putting up boards, putting up numbers on the scoreboard. So then the defense knew, okay, they're going to throw the ball. We can get after the passer. If they do run the ball, we're going to stuff that. And I think you just have to lean on your leadership and your guys up front. Their linebacking core is amazing. They still have Tarlis Jones and Jalen Walker playing well up front. And I think if you look at Old Dominion on film, if you're those two guys, you're looking at your chops. You're looking at a team that hasn't really shown they could run the ball very well since that Coastal Carolina game. So those two guys just have to continue to fly around. And then their big boys up front have to continue playing well for them as well. They've been plugging gaps all year for them. And we've seen some second half fatigue maybe when they're down in some games from those guys. But I think if they can start off this game hot, be competitive, you can see guys like James Carpenter, Jamar, Jamar Edwards get involved up front and do some really great things for them that we're kind of more accustomed to seeing in the beginning of the season for them, but maybe see it kind of get a revival and kind of get going against the offense that's kind of shown sputters and shown that they're not very consistent up front and out wide. It's probably going to have to start, uh, you know, enforcing turnovers if you're Old Dominion, if you want to stay in this game. Uh, they've been one of the top teams in doing that all season long, two interceptions last week. But this is a James Madison team that doesn't turn the ball over, and that might be one of Old Dominion's, uh, you know, best parts of their team. And if James Madison's able to neutralize that, it could be a long night, Caden. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to what I was literally just saying about James Madison. Old Dominion is not getting a ton of help from their offense. You look at them last week, they hold Marshall out of the end zone. If you're a defense, what more do you want as far as playing a complete game and a good game than keeping the offense out of the paint? I think that's one of those moments where you're a defense and something that isn't really talked about a lot. And if you're not in the locker room, you're not going to experience it a lot. There are definitely two teams that have to play during a game. It's the offense and the defense. They're on different sides of the field and they do their own thing. And if you're the old dominion defense, if you're Jason Henderson and those guys, you're tired after every drive. You're like, okay, we, we, we're getting off of the field. We're getting our offense opportunities. We're holding them to just field goals and not touchdowns. You need your offense to hold up the bargain to a certain extent. So I think if you're Old Dominion, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get a bit greater challenge in this game, depending on what you get out of Todd Santeo. But yes, they can cause a turnover if they can take matters into their own hands, like we saw in their first upset victory when they're getting four interceptions. That'll be huge for them. If they can get some turnovers, maybe score themselves, block some kicks like they were before, scoop and score type of deals they can have more success in this game. But I think if you're Old Dominion's defense, you have to still stay true to yourself to a certain extent because you're not playing bad at this point. You're just not getting a ton of help elsewhere. Well, James Madison, a seven and a half point favorite on the road. This game will be at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Make sure you tune in for that one. Next up, Coastal Carolina versus Southern Miss at 7.30 on ESPNU. And breaking news, Grayson McCall will miss this game. That is a huge storyline Caden, we could probably spend the next 10 minutes just talking about Grayson McCall missing this game, but Coastal has a chance to come into this game and clinch the Sun Belt East with a win or a Georgia State loss. We'll talk about that matchup a little bit more, but Grayson McCall being out for the next three to six weeks with a lower body injury has definitely put a dark cloud over this one. Southern Miss probably went into this game thinking it was going to be hard to get to bowl eligibility, but then when you hear Grayson McCall's out, you think, oh, we might actually be able to do it in this game. Uh, it'll be the third game on national television this year for Coastal Carolina. And Kane, we've already said his name a couple of times, but how big of an impact is losing Grayson McCall at this point of the season for the best team in the Sun Belt? No, this is the guy I've been calling the maestro, the the point guard of this guy of this offense, and it's he's a huge loss. I think if you look at all the teams across the Sun Belt, 
if you could choose one player to lose from a team that has value, you look at the Todd Santeos and you look at the Grayson McCalls. Those are the guys that bring their teams the most value and bring their teams their most wins with their play style. So obviously hope for a speedy recovery for Grayson. I know he's kind of been dealing with lower body injuries for quite a bit during his career. I know I've seen him in a boot in the past and we saw in the Georgia State game he had a lower body injury as well. You have to wonder if that's something that's involved, but we wish him a speedy recovery but I must say, I am excited to see this offense behind Bryce Carpenter. We've seen him in stretches here and there. We see little packages with him. He's more of a running quarterback. He's a big body. He's listed at 6'1", 200 pounds. I'm not believing that. That's what I was listed at. And he looks much bigger than I did when I played. And he's already established he's not a guy that's going to slide. He's going to run forward. He's going to try to fall forward and make some guys miss and run them over. So I think we're going to see more of a running threat. We're going to see more of a running game in this and especially in the option attack. And I'm kind of excited to see it on display. I think this is going to be where Jamie Chadwell maybe flexes his muscles a little bit and shows that, okay, my star quarterback, who y'all think is the success of this program and the success of this offense, is the guy. We're not going to have him for the next couple of weeks. So he's about to show his muscles off a little bit and show what he can do as an offense with his backup quarterback and try to find ways to win. So I'm excited to watch him get after it. Um especially against the Georgia Southern defense that showed some vulnerabilities for the first time in the run game in a long time last week. Well, he's only thrown the ball four times this year, so expect a heavy dose of run if Carpenter's the guy who gets the start. If you were watching the ESPN broadcast last week, you got a great look at the T-shirt that he likes to wear, telling the officials, like, hey, don't blow the whistle. I'm going hard. I'm not sliding in this game. Uh, Caden, I wanted to ask you, you know, you've played at this venue in Coastal Carolina, going to be at home again. Uh, They had their biggest crowd ever last week against App State. Uh, does Coastal Carolina have some of the best, or is it the best home field advantage in the Sun Belt? It's hard with the Sun Belt. I think you obviously know I have my biases towards App State, and you've been to App State game, so you've seen how electric it is there. And I think the special thing about App State is that crowd's going to be there regardless of how good or bad the team is doing. And I think a lot of the things you see as far as other teams in the conferences and their venues, you talked about Louisiana. I've played in one of the most crazy electric games in a championship game in Louisiana. But this week when we saw the game on Thursday that we watched tonight when we're recording this, wasn't exactly that crowd. And I think Coastal's the same way. It kind of depends on the stock of the team right now. We saw a good turnout for the App State game and hopefully they'll use some of that momentum into this weekend with it being a game at night and having the kind of the conference championship hopes and the murmurs around Coastal Carolina's campus around. So we could see it be dangerous. But I will tell you the game I played there, 2020 Great crowd, great environment. It was electric, and it was a tough one to play in front of. So I definitely think there's something to say about that crowd being one of the top three, top four, I would say, in the conference as far as an away crowd. And you have to definitely worry about the Southern Miss offense, especially playing in front of such a hostile crowd with the young quarterbacks there rotating last game and some of the troubles that they were already having heading into this one. Here's a quick stat to keep in mind, and we'll move on to you know USM's uh, quarterback issues in a moment. But Coastal Carolina undefeated against West Division opponents since 2020. They're a perfect 9-0, so they'll try to go 10-0 with a win over a new West Division foe in Southern Miss. Uh, I mentioned it a moment ago, USM, they come into this game with quarterback issues galore. That seems to be the story uh, down in Hattiesburg over the last couple of seasons. Uh, They thought they had Zach Wilkie, and then he's been ineffective. They played three quarterbacks last week, Lang, Wilkie, Lowe. They even get Frank Gore in there for a couple of opportunities uh, Caden, how are they going to solve these quarterback issues at some point? And is that what maybe is holding Southern Miss back from being one of those elite teams in the West? It's definitely handcuffing them right now. And it's kind of tough to address these issues during the season, especially in the back half of the season, and especially with the youth of these quarterbacks we're seeing. These are a lot of young guys who aren't as experienced. So throwing them in there to the fire is a tough situation to be in for them. And you can't really fault them for not playing well in these games and these situations they're in. We knew all season this was a team I was going to have to rely on their run game and rely on their defense. And we saw last week what they look like when they don't have that clicking for them. And you can't really expect much from the quarterback play at that point once you have that going for you. The other thing about if, if Troy just played a game this season where they can't run the ball all of a sudden and all of a sudden their defense doesn't show up and you put the ball in the hands of Gunnar Watson and Jarrett Dagey and ask them to just cook and produce for you. Well, these are quarterbacks that are even less experienced than those guys that really don't have that, that feel and that pulse of what's going on. And, They've shown promises and flashes of good things, and all of those good things have been on display when those other parts of the puzzle and pieces of the puzzle have been working. So it's a lot of pressure on them, and I don't think it's going to be something they can prove right now. But putting this out there, I'm just saying, I'm not saying this is going to happen. Maybe Zach Wilkie plays this whole game and he plays a masterpiece. But it might be time to just go super back 
a little bit more. Maybe we see a lot more super back in this game. Maybe it turns into a Carpenter versus Gore battle with two running quarterbacks throwing the ball occasionally. I think it would be an exciting game just to watch Frank Gore kind of take the reins of this offense. Maybe in the second half if things aren't clicking, just hand him the keys to the car and let him run and let him cook. He talked about his quarterback play in the past, and we've seen what he can do with his arm this season especially. So that's my proposition for this game and how I like to see it go as as a selfish fan of the Sun Belt. Man, I think Frank Gore, if he was listening to this episode, would probably have a big smile on his face that you just called him a running quarterback. I think he would uh, be very pleased uh, with being called that. Uh, You know, really, two things more on this matchup. The Nasty Bunch is going to look to rebound uh, Southern Miss's defense coming off that 388-yard performance that they gave up on the ground last week. Uh, And then meanwhile, Coastal Carolina's defense really feels like it's fallen off the table. They're 12th worst in the Sun Belt um, this season through six games, giving up over 416 yards per game. So I really feel like in this game, Caden, we're looking out to see if either of these defenses can rebound in a big way and perhaps propel some of these offenses that who knows if they're going to be able to put up points in this contest to a victory. You're right about that. I think the nasty bunch, when you look at them throughout the season, They've played great defense, and they've definitely carried this team to the 5-4 and four record that they have right now. And it's kind of the opposite when you look at Coastal. They've been carried because of their offense and the explosiveness they, explosiveness they had there. But they both kind of play a similar style as far as bend, don't break. You look at Coastal Carolina and their wins. When they, did, when they needed their defense to show up the most in the second halves of games to close things out for them, they have. So you look at this matchup and the offense that they're facing, hopefully they can use some of this momentum because going into championship time, if you're going to be a championship team, you're going to want all cylinders clicking and you're going to want your defense to not just finish games for you, but to be able to start them and play a complete first, second, third, fourth quarter. So that's what I'm looking for on Coastal side. And I'm looking for the nasty bunch to just get back to their nasty ways. Well, we'll go ahead and move through these next couple of games pretty quickly. But next up on the slate, Georgia State versus ULM. This game going to take place at 1 p.m. on ESPN Plus in Atlanta. Georgia State coming into this game, Caden, they've won two games in a row for their last five. Suddenly, they're looking like one of the hottest teams in the Sun Belt. And with Coastal dealing with some quarterback issues, there actually still is a chance for Georgia State to make it into the title match. Uh, Doesn't feel likely, but there's definitely a chance there. They come into this game. Uh, four and three versus ULM in the series history. Uh, they've won the last two games. And the last time that they actually were defeated at home by ULM was back when they were playing in the Georgia Dome in 2016. One of the most interesting things about this game is, Caden, I feel like this might be one of the best quarterback matchups that we actually see uh, this weekend. A sneaky good matchup between Darren Granger, who's playing some of his best football, Chandler Rogers, who's having an outstanding sophomore season. What do you like about the quarterback matchup in this game, Caden? Well, first of all, I'll definitely say you're right. I think Georgia State is one of the hotter teams in the conference right now, especially when you talk about that 0-4 start. And we were talking about this is the best 0-4 team in the country. And I think they're proving it right now, putting up 30 to 40 points per game. And a lot of that has to do with the amazing play, like you said, about the quarterback, Darren Granger. He's having a great stretch right now where he's putting up 100-plus rushing yards in three straight games for them, really being dynamic, throwing the ball, not turning the ball over for them and helping them score points. And on the other side of the ball, you see the same thing with Chandler Rogers, a very improved quarterback in this one who clearly has a very special connection with his wide receiver Tyrone Howell you look at Georgia State's defense they played lights out last week but they're playing a different quarterback in this one who has a really good arm a really good connection with a quarterback and has been taking or with the wide receiver sorry has been taking very good care of the ball lately so I'm super excited to watch two of these kind of dual threat quarterbacks who have rising stock in this conference play against each other in this one Two dual-threat quarterbacks, two high-scoring offenses. Georgia State comes in 31 points a game. You were just mentioning how good their offense has looked uh, lately in Sunbelt Conference play. ULM uh, averaging 27 points per game in five Sunbelt Conference games. So expect some fireworks in Atlanta, Caden, and I'm here for it in this game. I I feel like this could be uh, one of the more underrated fun games perhaps on the weekend. I agree with you. It's a fun matchup. I think if you look at both of these teams, they've shown some scrap. They've shown some grit in the last couple of weeks. They're coming off of wins. And I think both of them kind of have similar makeup as far as the position they're in going to the conference and going to the stretch of the season. You look at their both matchups, the last matchups they've played in. Georgia State played an amazing game. They ran the ball well per usual that they do. And I think Chandler Rogers and his bunch really pulled out a win that they kind of didn't deserve. They kind of got outplayed. But at the end and down in the stretch, they pulled it out and they played a little bit better than Texas State in that matchup. So both of these teams, like I talked about before, have some rising stock, both kind of playing some of their best football right now. So I'm definitely eager to watch them square off in Georgia. Well, the reason I'm so excited about that one is because of the next game that we have to talk about that I'm not excited about at all. Arkansas State versus UMass. This game, 3 p.m. on ESPN3. 
could be one of the better games of the weekend as we race to the bottom. Arkansas State, they've lost four in a row after beating ULM on October 1st. Uh, they're coming off a 31-3 to loss to South Alabama last week, uh, have lost their last two games by a combined 48 points. But fortunate for them, they're playing probably one of the worst teams in the entire country in UMass who come into this game 1-8 and eight in Caden. I didn't have a ton to talk about on this game, so I did want to start with giving a shout-out to Dominic Zavada, the kicker for Arkansas State. He's one of the lone guys having an outstanding season. Uh, he was just named a semifinalist finalist for the Lou Grosso Award, which honors the nation's top place kicker. Uh, he's just one of 10 place kickers that has not missed a field goal this year, uh, along with Diego Guajardo at South Alabama. But a shout-out to there to D- uh, Dominic Zavada for his strong season. Last thing I've got on this matchup, again, we were moving quickly through this one, but. Arkansas State, somehow they have got to find a way to get over 100 yards rushing in this game. UMass has given up 100 yards on the ground to every team this year. Arkansas State, they've only run for 100 yards once this month, and last week they ran for negative 19 yards. So I need Arkansas State to at least get over 100 yards rushing in this game to make this worth watching at all. Yeah, so shout out to Dominic. We'll probably put him in the running for my new special teams player of the week award that I've apparently giving out inaugurally now, weekly now. But this might sound ridiculous, but this is just a, simply an, a must win game for Arc State. CBS does these ranking lists that, that go beyond the top 25. And I remember we would always look at it when we were playing and see how far ranked we were on here. Well, UMass is ranked dead last. They're the 131st team ranked in the country and obviously arc state's not much further off from there they're at 115 but they're clearly a much better team i mean james blackman's going to be by far the best player on this field if you drop them on umass you'd be the best player on their team so this is a much must win game for them they're supposed to win this espn fpi gives them a 92 percent chance of winning this game and it's just important for their program right now if you can't beat umass coming off of a bye you have to make some serious calls as far as different decisions i think with what you have going on in arkansas state so i'm hopefully excited for them to come off of this bye week and play like they have something to prove but if they don't win this one i think it's it's time to start maybe looking around and seeing if we should change some things up for arkansas state and jonesboro okay now i'm going to change it up a little bit here and we're just going to go ahead and make our picks on this game and say that arkansas state's going to win this game because the alternative gets ugly so i think we're both going to just stick with arkansas state and that'll save us a little bit of time at the end of the episode but Let's move on to a game that I actually think could have a little bit of interest. Uh, Troy versus Army at 3.30 on NFL Network on Saturday. Uh, Troy's going to be facing Army for the first time. They're going to face him uh, up at West Point next year as part of a home-and-home. Troy leads the Sun Belt West 5-1 and one with two games to play, so they need to keep winning uh, so that they stay ahead of South Alabama. Uh, the first, This will be the first of two meetings between these two programs. Uh, And Caden, for Troy, it all starts with one thing. Can you stop Army's running game? Uh, Troy has allowed 100-plus yards in just three games this year, but two of uh, those three games have been over 200 yards. Uh, They're the fourth-best rushing defense in the Sun Belt, but they're facing an Army team that consistently runs for over 300 yards per game. Although, in a matchup of Surface Academies last last week, Air Force held Army to just 78 yards on the ground, so maybe they gave Troy the roadmap. But you have to imagine in this game, if Troy wants to have a good performance, they need to figure out a way to at least slow down Army's run game. Yeah, statistically, Army's going to do what they do. They might put some big numbers up in this game, and Troy's Troy's defense might be on the field a little bit longer than they want to be. But let's not forget, this Troy team is used to playing in the East and playing against a Georgia Southern team year in and year out that was running the triple option. And a lot of those seniors like Carlton Marshall and those guys are used to playing that. So I think what they have going on up front, they're a disciplined group. They're very gap sound. And I think they'll be able to tap into some of those old defenses that used to play against Georgia Southern and utilize them against Army. I think Army's going to do what they do. They're going to keep the ball on the ground. They're going to keep the clock going. And that might be more of a problem for Troy's offense because they might have some limited touches. And we know we have some limitations on that side of the ball for Troy. But as far as their defense goes, I'm not worried about them against Army. Well, I think the next thing I want to talk about, and again, you, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard this stat every week, and I'm going to take a little bit of credit for Troy's winning streak because we started mentioning this at the beginning, and since then they've gone 6-0, and so I can't jinx them by not mentioning this, but they've run for over 100 yards in six straight games, and in those six games, they are 6-0. and Caden, uh, they're actually coming off their best running performance last week against Louisiana. They ran for 149 yards, Kamani Vidal had that walk-off touchdown, uh, that Troy rushing attack seems to be getting better as the season goes on. It does, and I think it's some of 
them figuring out their personnel and figuring out what works best for them. We talked about it all year. What's a team's blueprint and game plan for winning games? And I think going into the season, Troy thought it was going to be this explosive air attack. And they still try to throw the ball more than they run the ball. They still try to lean on that. But I think the more the season got along, they looked at Billingsley and they looked at Vidal and they said, hey, y'all are actually quite effective for us. Y'all are running the ball well for us. And maybe they listen to the podcast too and they know if they run for 100 yards, they're going to get a win. So maybe they've been chasing that a little bit more. But I think Troy just has it figured out. If you look at the run they've been going on and the wins they've been pulling off, they all look the same. They all look like getting 100 yards, having great defensive play, and our quarterback's doing just enough, getting the ball to Tez Johnson just enough to win games. So I'm super excited to watch them to continue to do this. And in this Army game, they just have to hope they can get out of it healthy. This doesn't matter for their conference standings, and it's going to be a physical game up front on both sides of the ball. So hopefully they can just get their win, get up out of New York, and get back onto their conference schedule and get back on track. Here's the biggest reason my eyes are on this game, and my eyes will be on Carlton Marshall. He comes into this game needing just 20 tackles to become the all-time leader in D1 history, and I have to question if that mark is in reach this week against a predominantly rushing attack in Army. Could we see a vintage Carlton Marshall performance? He comes in with 84 tackles this year on the season. He's working on his fourth straight 100-plus tackle season. Uh, Caden, that's the reason I'm watching this game is, you know, plain and simple to see how many tackles Carlton Marshall can pick up against Army. Well, this defense is playing so well and they're at home and I'm sure they want Carlton to break this record at home. So they might be running a whole entire defensive scheme where it's like, hey, everyone has their gap and responsibility. But Carlton, number two, you, you do what you want. You run to the ball and you get your tackles. So it'll definitely be a fun watch. I'll see. Be curious to see if he chases this record, depending on the score and what how the game goes. But I think with the nature of this triple option team, it'll definitely be worth having eyes on him and watching what he does. I know we'll both be tuned in to see if Carlton breaks it this week because it might happen next week. It might it's definitely not making it to the third week. It's happening soon selfishly and i'm not going to tell you why i'm hoping that he doesn't break it this week and that it's next weekend but uh we'll have to keep you posted on why i'm saying that but carlton marshall i went and did some digging he's had 24 games in his career with 10 or more tackles over five years he's a former walk-on at troy and recently he was honored as a semifinalist for the burlesworth award which honors a walk-on that's had a, a ton of success at the collegiate level so certainly a great story and looking forward to seeing him play down the stretch and perhaps uh, get to this record sooner rather than later. Uh, we'll move on. South Alabama versus Texas State. Uh, this game will be at 5 p.m. on ESPN Plus on Saturday evening. Uh, South Alabama trying to keep pace with Troy and hoping that the Trojans slip up down the stretch. They come in 4-1 and one in Sunbelt West play this season. Uh, Texas State, actually, I was surprised, Caden, when I saw this, but they lead the all-time series against the Jags 4-3. to three. Uh, although South Alabama uh, defeated uh, Texas State last year, 33 to 31 and get this four overtimes in San Marcos. And I would not mind seeing that again in this game. Texas State, though, here's something interesting. When you look at their season, Caden, they're 0 and 5 on the road, which says that it's going to be hard to beat South Alabama in Mobile. Uh, the biggest thing for me, Caden, with South Alabama right now, I love how they're playing. I love the running back play from LaDamian Webb, but I'm going to continue to harp on the fact that they need to get Carter Bradley going again. He has thrown for fewer than 200 yards in two of his last three games, hasn't gone over 215 in the last three weeks, and that's all on the heels of that 420-yard performance that he had against ULM. We've talked about it a couple times, but if you're South Alabama, maybe early in this game, what's a way to get him going quickly? It's definitely something to watch, and if you're the wide receiving room, you definitely want more of that as well. You don't want to be in a position last week where you were down and you're relying on your running back to bring you back into the game. So early, quick, easy access passes, I think this Texas State secondary has shown vulnerabilities. It's not the best in the Sun Bowl by any means, and I think this receiving core and Carter Bradley can definitely do some things against them in the passing game. So I would look for them to get some quick game, get as many touches to as many other different targets that they have as they can, and then slowly but surely work Carter into airing it out like we're accustomed to seeing in the beginning of the season, take some deep shots to voice and take some deep shots to Jalen Wayne. You have plenty of weapons. It's just about getting them involved, I think. Their formula the last couple of weeks for winning has been leaning on the play of LaDamian Webb, and that's great to do. But I think going into the end of the season, maybe if Troy does slip up, maybe if you have to play some more important ball, you want to be as versatile of an offense as you can as possible. And a lot of that has to do with his receivers out wide. So I'm definitely looking for Carter to have a bounce back game in this one. Get those stats up, get those passing numbers up, those totals up, and get those receivers involved in this one. What's the saying that lightning can't strike in the same place twice? And my question for you, Caden, is can it strike in the same place three times in a row? LaDamian Webb is having one of the best stretches of his career, 409 yards on the ground over the last two games. 
He had an outstanding game the week before and then topped it uh, this past week with 247 yards on 35 carries. Uh, Texas State features a top five rushing defense, though, going into this game. Uh, do you see Webb having another big performance or is it going to be a little bit more challenging against Texas State in this game? I think it'll definitely be more challenging than it was against Georgia Southern because we saw even tonight how bad that team up front can be when it comes to defending the run. But I think like we just talked about, what could make it easier for LaDamian and what can get him another dominant multiple carries, multiple touchdowns, 100 type of yard game that we're used to seeing is if they can open things up out wide. And I plan to see them using a balance attack in this one. I really do. I think they're going to try to get Carter's confidence back and those receivers' confidence back. And I think once you're Texas State, you do have to deal with the guys up the field, down the field, running routes all over you. Then you kind of forget about LaDamian Webb, one of the best running backs in the conference right in front of you, and that's when he's effective. So I'm looking for this offense to be a balanced attack. They've proven that they can lean on LaDamian, and when they're not a balanced attack, they can still be effective. But I think at the beginning of the season, we might see more of those just slightly 100-yard games, 90-yard games out of LaDamian Webb, and then the better the offense plays around him, the better he's going to play. Last thing to talk about in this matchup, and it's can Texas State force turnovers? They forced a season-high four turnovers last week against ULM, three fumble recoveries and an interception. They've had seven takeaways in their last two games, and they forced 19 turnovers this season, which is their most since in a season since 2014. Caden, if Texas State wants to force turnovers, how does it start in this game? It starts with making Carter Bradley uncomfortable. He's shown that he's not necessarily as confident as a passer, not as efficient of a passer as he's been in the beginning of the season. And I think when you saw some of those struggles he was having, especially when you look at the Louisiana game and how he started off that one, you have to just kind of be disruptive. If you're playing in zone coverage, you have to read his eyes well. You have to be up front, gap sound, and be just disruptive. You have to give him hard decisions to make. You have to put pressure on him. So I think the more uncomfortable they can make Carter Bradley, that's when you start to see some of those deficiencies in his game. That's when you start to see maybe a turnover, an errant pass, a forced fumble, and things like that. So I don't think LaDamian Webb's giving the ball up. He's toting the rock, and he's taking care of it, and he's taking care of business. But I think if you can make Carter Bradley uncomfortable, it's going to be a better off for you as a Texas State defense. South Alabama returns home for the first time in nearly a month. The last time they were at home, they lost to Troy. The Jags 3-1 and one at home this year, and they've outscored opponents 132-65 to 65 at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. So look for perhaps a big game for South Alabama against Texas State. Well, Kane, we'll move on to our favorite part of every preview episode, and that's us making our picks. Uh, we've already made one pick with that Arkansas State one because, again, the alternative of them losing that game could get ugly, so we're just going to both root for Arkansas State uh, this weekend against UMass. But, Caden, we started this episode talking about Marshall versus App State. Uh, App comes in a one-point favorite on the road, over-under sits at 47.5. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go first here and, and add a little bit of suspense to your pick, but I'm taking the boys from Boone. I think that this is a chance for them to, you know, perhaps pick up a big win up at Marshall. This is a rivalry game. The line says this one's going to be close, and I'm expecting it to be that way. I think that you might see App State struggle to run the football early on in this game. And if you do, I really want to see them pivot to just allowing Chase Bryce to do his thing. And if they do, I like I like App State in this game because they have the better quarterback over Cam Fancher. Over-under sits at 47.5. Neither of these offenses have been firing on all cylinders, but 47.5 feels a bit low. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and take the over. I like a lot of what you had to say there as a guy from App State, but I think when you look in this one, you're right. The quarterback play is going to be important, and I think when you look at both teams, you're getting the best or the second best scoring offense in App State versus the Marshall defense who's been going on a crazy tear and is now at the top of the conference's defense, but they haven't seen an offense quite like App State's, and I think that's going to be very important for them. I think App State personnel-wise offensively is just too dynamic. I think Marshall will be able to run to the ball, yes, and I think they will be able to get stops in this game, but I think if it comes down to being a close game and you need some big plays made, it's going to come down to Chase Bryce and his weapons versus Cam Fancher's and his, and I think if it's tight and you need those guys to improve and you need them to win, I think that's where App State comes in and does it. So give me App State to win and to cover just because it is such a small line. It's a one point. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think both teams running the ball is going to be important in the first half and something they're going to want to try to prove. And I think great defense will be played by both teams. So I'm going to take the under on the points. Next up, Old Dominion versus James Madison, the first meeting in the recently announced Royal Rivalry. JMU comes in a 7.5-point favorite. Over-under sits at 46.5. Caden, how are you betting this weekend on this game? I'm going to switch it up on this one. I'm going to go with Old Dominion. I think there's too many questions at the quarterback position for James Madison. Old Dominion's been playing great defense. We talked about them keeping Marshall out of the end zone last week, and I think they're going to ride that momentum on the defense side of the ball, ride that going into this rivalry game. That's very important. 
And I think if Todd's not healthy or if Billy Atkins is playing, we saw what this team is and how different they are. And I think you're just asking too much of your defense. You're asking too much of your other offensive weapons. If you're getting a lesser version of Todd, or if you're not getting Todd, and I think it's going to be a low scoring affair, but I do think Old Dominion at home will be able to pull this off. So give me Old Dominion to win, which means they're going to cover and I'm going to take the under on the points. I think it's going to be a low scoring defensive affair where both offenses maybe struggle to get going a little bit in the beginning and then Old Dominion outlast them at the very last second. I'm okay with you taking the under on this one because I'm I'm leaning that way as well, and I am going to take the under on this game, but I'm not okay with you taking Old Dominion because I still think James Madison is the better team in this game. Obviously, Todd Santeo has been you know hurt or something's going on uh, with him, but uh, he's a couple weeks removed from that, and if he plays in this game, I think uh, you might see a bounce-back performance. I think that they have enough pieces uh, to get past Old Dominion in this game, seven and a half, one touchdown, I would think that that's a pretty fair line. So give me James Madison uh, to win this game in cover, uh, and I am going to take the under at 46.5. Coastal Carolina versus Southern Miss. Coastal a five-point favorite, 48.5 points is the over-under, and these numbers have consistently gone down since it was announced that um, Grayson McCall would miss this game. Uh you know, without having a quarterback, you know, and really I can say that neither team in this matchup really has a quarterback. Uh, so then you start looking at other parts of the, you know, this team. Uh, I think Coastal Carolina is a team that knows how to win. Uh, I'm not really sure that Southern Miss fully knows how to win just yet with their pieces. So at five points, I'm going to stick with Coastal Carolina in this one uh, simply because, uh, you know, or looking at that over under as well. Um, I'm going to take the under because I'm not sure how many points we'll see in this game. I think that's the safer bet, uh, but give me Coastal to win and cover and give me the under in this matchup. Yeah, I agree with you, No, I think Coastal Carolina at night playing in Conway, I think it's going to be a special night for them. So I'm going to have to take Coastal Carolina in this one as well. You look at this defense that Southern Miss has, they're facing now uh, what was a wrinkle of their offense, what was a little change up with Carpenter being the quarterback. Now that's their entire offense. It's a coaching nightmare, really. You don't have a ton of film to watch, and now you have to play a different version of this offense that was already hard to defend, and you just gave up 42 points to a Georgia State offense. That's a lot more simple than what you're about to see. So I think the defense still plays tough. They keep it close and low scoring, so I am going to take the under on points, but give me close to the win and cover, and just the inconsistency of the quarterback position as well for Southern Miss is something that just doesn't sit well with me on this road game especially so coastal to win coastal to cover but the under on the points i think the nasty bunch still plays better than they did last week and keeps it low scoring georgia state ulm georgia state comes in a 13 and a half point favorite at home over under a bit high here at 58 and a half uh Kate, i'll go first here again uh these two teams come in averaging a combined 58 points per game during five sunbelt conference games this year uh, I expect Darren Granger to continue to play well, and I expect a huge day on the ground again from Georgia State. So give me Georgia State to win. And even though the over-under is a bit high at 58.5, I like what I've seen out of Georgia State's offense. I think ULM will still get some points, so I'm going to go ahead and take the over in this game. You took the words out of my mouth. I've bet against Darren Granger one or two too many times on this podcast, and I'm not doing it again. Give me Georgia State at home, especially against the ULM defense. That's the third worst at defending the run. I think it's just a bad matchup up front overall. I do think the clock will be moving a lot in this one, but I think Chandler Rogers will be able to keep it close with his ULM team. I think that spreads a little too far, so I do think ULM will cover. I'm going to take the over on the points as well. I think I'm picking that one a little bit more with my heart like you are. We want to see an exciting quarterback duel in this one, so give me Georgia State to win but I do think they um, do not cover. I think ULM covers, but give me the over on the points. Hopefully a lot of fireworks out of these two quarterbacks. Troy versus Army. Troy, nine-point favorite over under 45.5. Caden, you're up first on this one. Yeah, give me Troy on this one and give me them to cover. I think Troy's defense, like I talked about before, they're just too stout. I think this team that they're going up against an army with the offense they run they beat teams that are undisciplined and that aren't good defensive teams and this is just a defensive group that's fantastic up front they're fantastic at stopping the run and i think they'll be just fine i think the contrast of the offensive styles makes this a little weird for the spread and the points but give me troy to cover and give me the under on the points i do think the troy defense plays well enough to give their offense the ball enough to where they can extend this lead maybe a little bit down the stretch but i think they are going to overall have the clock running a ton and there will be a little bit less time to make the most of those opportunities. So I'm going to take the under on the points. So try to win, try to cover with the under on the points. Army's put up 35 plus points in four games this season, including two of their last three. They're one and two against Sunbelt Conference opponents this year. 
but that's not going to change anything. Troy's winning this game. Uh, they're going to cover the spread. Uh, look for Troy again to have a big performance defensively. Uh, I'm looking for Carlton Marshall to pick up at least 12 tackles in this game and put himself within striking distance. Here's where I'm going to take a little bit of an interesting route here. I think Troy's defense is going to be solid. I'm not sure how many points they're going to put up. So I am going to take Troy to win and cover, but I am going to take the under in this game. Uh, despite Army's ability to put up points, uh, they are coming off of that really poor performance last week against Air Force. So I I think I almost had you there for a second. You thought I was taking Army. But uh, last one, uh, South Alabama versus Texas State. The Jags come in a 16.5-point favorite over-under. Sits at 46 and a half. And Caden, since they've been your boys all year long, we'll let you go ahead and pick first. Yeah, you know I'm taking my boys in this one, but I'm actually not taking them to cover. I think that's quite a bit of a big line at 16 and a half. That's three scores for them. And I think this Texas State team has proven they can stay in games and playing close ones. But South Alabama is just simply too much better at winning football games right now. We talked about it before in last week's pod. Texas State doesn't have that killer instinct yet. They haven't really shown they can close out a tight and close game. And I don't think this one will be close anyways. But if it is, I'm still taking South Alabama, who's proven they could win those big games down the stretch. So give me them to win. But I do think Texas State gets within 16 and a half points, which seems a little crazy. And I'm going to take the over on the points, too. I think they've proven they can score a little bit. I don't think they're going to do too much against a stout South Alabama team. But I think they get up a touchdown or two in this one. And I think South Alabama is going to do South Alabama thing. So give me South Alabama to win, not to cover though, but the points. Okay. And I was initially going to take South Alabama to cover, but you've just talked me out of it. And then I was reminded of a stat too, that over the last three games, Texas state, they've lost those three games by a combined 10 points. So give me Texas state to cover in this one, South Alabama to win. I'm going to take the over South Alabama. They've scored 30 plus in seven of their nine games this year. I think Carter Bradley has a chance to have a big game. So I think it's a safe bet to take uh, South Alabama in this one, but a fantastic slate of games. Uh, the final weekend where we see a couple of non-conference games, or actually we'll see one more next week, uh, a couple more next week. Uh, but that'll do it for our week 10 preview episode. We're both looking forward to, or week 11 rather, I'm getting my weeks messed up at this point, our week 11 preview episode. Uh, we're both looking forward to another exciting weekend of Sunbelt football. Here's a quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Monday, where we'll recap all of the action from over the weekend and begin to look ahead to the penultimate week of the Sunbelt regular season. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We both enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did, please take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also consider leaving us a quick rating or review. There's been a couple of those left lately, and uh, Kate and I have both enjoyed hearing your thoughts. Lastly, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Prairie and Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.